0: Are the nets cast? My father shouted from just feet away. His wrinkled hands were planted softly on the wheel of our modest trawler. The boat rocked calmly to the soft push of waves. The salty air threatened to dry my mouth out if I dared to speak a word. One more to go, I called. Most trawlers had an automatic way to cast nets and bait. My father stubbornly stuck to what he called the good old-fashioned way, but I'd say otherwise. I took the final cast net, cleared it off tangles and then wrapped the white material around my arms a few times and threw it with steady hands. The net hit the water surface with a satisfying loop and sunk below. I enjoyed my father at the helm as he slowly steered the boat through the water. Net fishing is a family business and despite only being 14, my father wanted me to prepare to take over. I don't mind the sea and there's a strange freedom that comes with travelling on a boat in the sun. I like how the wind softly brushes past me at low speeds and how little splashes of water occasionally cool me down when it's warm. And I can't wait until I can drive. In the distance were other trawlers, but of bigger sizes, all funded by Sado Fishing Co. Their nets were mechanical and bright red, since it was the first colour to disappear in the ocean. Dad must have noticed me staring as he grunted out of annoyance. Traitors, he huffed. Robots will take everybody's job soon. It was easy enough for him to say, I've been casting all of his nets since I was 10. The sea was quiet. Between casting the nets and pulling them back up, I'd often pick up a book or nap. It was boring. At 14, I wanted to meet friends or sleep in, not get up before dawn and sail out to sea. I lay on the deck. I must have been there for a few minutes. When the air turned cold the sun's intensity stopped and its assault on my closed eyelids ended. A series of panicked mutters and shuffling came from my father's direction and I opened my eyes to dark skies. An eerie horn echoed through the area and came with it wild tides as the sound made the water dance. I shouted in worry. The fear caused my voice to crack. Is it? I didn't dare finish my sentence. It can't be! It's earlier than last time! My father stuttered. Nets up, now! The boat came to a halt, and my father and I rushed to pull the nets up, and my shaky hands struggled to keep a decent grip on the hand lines. Dad. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Is it here? I cried out, my hands burning from the rough rope. My father never sailed out when the colossal side and malicious cracking was due to visit. Dad! I squeaked out as he silently left the mostly empty nets. ''Quiet!'' he hissed. With the nets up, my father hurried to the helm, and we headed back towards the village. Our trawler bounced over each wave, and with each jump I was flung across the deck. It wasn't until I was knocked towards a bench that I could climb on top of it and straddle for stability. Darkened water splashed onto the boat, and liquid assaulted me from each direction, and I struggled to keep my eyes open. The few fish in the nets flopped wildly while some lay still after hitting the deck harshly. The boat rocked harshly to a point where I feared it would tip over. Water once again attacked me and I was forced to shut my stinging eyes. I was frightened to the point where my brain could only focus on just how scared I was. I couldn't think of the kraken. I couldn't think of my dad. I couldn't think of how much my eyes hurt from the salty sea. When I finally opened them again... The fear only multiplied when I searched for the trawler from earlier. It was gone. I forced myself up on shaky feet. My knees threatened to buckle over on me. And with each wave, I nearly collapsed. My eyes scanned the ocean in a rush as I quickly orientated myself. I checked the horizon. It was really gone. I stared on disbelief as a rounded shape poked out of the ocean. I I swear for a moment that it looked at me. The next wave knocked me back over. I slipped and my knees scraped the damp wooden deck harshly. I crawled towards the helm cabin where my father was, my bloody knees leaving a trail that soon washed away by the ocean. I woke up with an ungodly scream, a noise I had never heard escape my mouth before, and my mother came rushing into my room and, as if by routine, she wrapped her arms around me and soothed me. You're at home. You're okay. You're okay. She repeated softly. Her fingers ran through my short hair gently, and I found myself melting in her embrace. Moments of silence passed in a hurry, and she spoke. So today then, I nodded at her. For the past three years, I have been able to predict the tri-monthly visit for the Kraken. My mother calmly rose from my bed and headed to the landline, ready to alert all fleets before they went out into danger. Not that they listen anyways. The bigger trawlers, especially the ones funded by Sato Co, never listened to the warnings. They paid their fishermen extra and sent them off with empty barrels to confuse the Kraken. There is folklore to suggest giving it empty barrels to confuse it. Not that it's worked. It takes one trawler and its crew every three months. My village Ina has only the bare necessities with only one convenience store and not much to do. It had been rare to come across any Taurus until ten years ago. A large bone jaw sat chained to a pole in the centre of our village, mere seconds from the ocean. The jaw belonged to the sea beast that ate all of our fish surrounding the town. I was only very young when this happened, but Sato Hirotami and his fleet managed to surround the creature with these nets and kill it. Hirotami himself dragged the dead animal to the shore and spent hours carving out its shore to make sure that even in the afterlife, it didn't take our fish. That's one of the reasons Sato-ko nets are so popular. However, even though Sato Hirotami saved our small fishing village from the fish-eating beasts, it brought along another being that didn't feed on fish but took down entire boats. I ran my hand across the bone carefully. Despite the 10 years it had been sending out in different weather conditions, it didn't look like it had aged at all. It was huge too, bigger than an orca. Plus, it had a strange roundness to it. I couldn't pinpoint it to any of the sea creatures I knew of. I stared out to the dock. Many of the smaller boats had decided to stay today, including my dad's small old trawler he's always had. I hadn't been on it since the incident three years ago. I was relieved that most of the family-owned boats were tied up and secure. In the distance, I could spot a large trawler. The rest, I imagined, had gone past the rocky bank. My attention was captured by the mutterings in an old open building nearby. "'It's coming sooner and sooner,' a male voice complained. "'It's every two months now,' he added. "'Was it?' I never kept track of it. It made sense, though, as it felt like I had the nightmare more often.' It's a Sugimoto kid. He must be cursed. How else does he know when the Kraken will arrive? Another the voice rang. This one was much more familiar. Plus, his scum father is one of the reasons the family companies won't buy my nets. It was Sato Hirotami. Maybe we should feed the son to the Kraken. The first voice asked. He received a grunt of agreement from Sato. I looked back at the bone and the date engraved on it. And suddenly, it all made sense. This all started because of Sato. This creature is angry because we killed it. Right? It must be. It's Ghost. I wanted to run into the building and tell them that I'm not cursed. And maybe if we put the jaw back, perhaps a would leave us be. But I knew it would be a waste of breath. The sky began to darken yet again. And the same horn echoed through the village. Goosebumps stood tall on my skin. I had to do it now. I rushed onto my father's boat and grabbed the bolt clippers he kept in the cabin. While everybody panicked and ran inside, I released the jaw from the metal restraints and tied the rope around it. I could fix this. I took the rope back to the boat and secured it tightly. My dad kept spare keys in the fake fish in the bait box so I could start the ship with these. I had never driven it before, but the adrenaline pushed me forward. The engine bubbled and Sue began propelling. The boat rushed ahead. him. Once the rope was stretched out, I had trouble moving forward, as if the jaw was too heavy. I pressed for more power and eventually the bone began scraping against the ground. It left a gash in the earth behind it. The boat engine growled as it struggled to pull, but ultimately the jaw hit the ocean. Now it was in the water, and it was much easier to pull forward. The choppy wave sent the boat further. I watched as the jaw dropped down into the darkness of the ocean. It's deep around here. It's deep around here. In fear of it taking the ship with it, I cut the rope loose. And then I saw it. In the distance, a giant creature travelled through the water and towards me. The shape was uniquely round, like something I'd only seen once before. I rushed back to the helm and started the boat back up. The panic soon set in. The waves around me roughened and aggressively shoved the trawler side to side. It made it so difficult to drive and I had a hard time trying to turn it around. Just as I had faced the village, something shot up out of the water. A massive creature, 80 feet in size, and a perfectly circular mouth, wide enough to fit tens of my little trawlers appeared. This thing wasn't a ghost. The movement of the beast sent my boat backwards and further into the ocean. I ascended into the void of its humongous mouth, past the rows of sharpened teeth, and saw only blackness. I saw death. The rotting stench invaded my nostrils. It caused my eyes to water. The creature breathed in deeply with an open mouth and then shut its jaws in a snap. The sheer force of the moving water underneath me caused me to topple over and hit my head off the wooden floor. A sharp pain travelled down my spine and I grew dizzy. Too dizzy. When I woke up, I was back home. One of the families nearby had been able to witness the entire thing from the dock. And when the creature disappeared back into the water after it's encounter with me, they came out and got me. The beast took three of the Sato trawlers that day but not me. After that, it began to attack every two weeks. Many people refused to go out and fish, which meant many family companies began to suffer greatly. My father lectured me multiple times, and he even banned me from his boat. His dream of fishing with his son had sunk, just like the jaw. One day, I double-checked the bait box and found he had moved the spare key. His ship deemed a good luck charm, and companies began to ask my dad to lead them out to sea. There were theories that our boat watered off the Kraken. One day, Sato offered my dad a large sum of money to go out on his boat with a few of his fleets. He agreed. I feared that Sato had tried to kill my father. But when he was the only boat to come out of that alive, and after his encounter, I was surprised. After that, my dad withdrew from fishing and hid in his workhouse for days. What was so different about our boat... I started to look into the differences and it became a new obsession. It wasn't the shape or size or the colour of the boats. They were very similar, except the ones that were attacked were much bigger. Elsie, my friend Betty, called out to me. I had been zoning out in class again. Shall we go get some milk from the canteen? I shook my head. And Betty sighed. What's wrong with you? She asked. It's just these boats. And the disappearances, I began. There's no difference. None of the family boats are being attacked. It's just the big ones. It's not like they look like food. They have red nets, I huffed. I mean, there's redfish in the ocean, Betty mumbled. Sea breams. I'm sure there's more too. When you get to a certain depth, red disappears though. Whatever it is, I wouldn't have been able to see it from below the surface. That seems dumb, she offered. Betty's lack of concern soothed me and her smile set my mind at ease, but only for a bit. I passed the dock on the way from school. The ground was still raised and torn up from when I pulled the jaw across it. I looked towards the ocean, where the jaw was most likely sitting at the bottom. If it wasn't a ghost, then who did the jaw belong to? I would have thought it belonged to a smaller version of the creature, with how round the appendage was. My hand slapped my mouth, and I let out a gasp. Did we kill its baby? I shook my head and stared out to the horizon where the ocean met the sea. The jaw was so huge but nothing compared to the beast I encountered. It was tiny. I ran home faster than I ever had before and began searching up on the internet for any hint of what the creature could be. I searched up everything imaginable and looked at multiple indexes of big sea beasts. None of the images matched up to what I had saw that day. Everything about this creature didn't make sense. From its perfectly circular mouth to its enormous size, plus the fact it was eating ships, there's no way it could get any sort of nutrition from the boats. Was it from this world? If we could believe in things like krakens, then who's to say that other things don't exist? I approached my father about the situation, how the creature could be acting on revenge or justice, and how it's only attacking the boats with red nets. I hadn't expected him to believe me so early, but he was making essential calls by the morning. Sato hesitantly sent a single fleet out with regular nets and the rest with red, soon seeing results. But once they scraped the red nets for standard nets, the beast began to act out. Rather than attack boats, the creature bit away at the floor ocean as if it was heading towards the village, and after three weeks, it was able to reach the docks. Sato would stand at the docks, a harpoon in one hand and a cigarette in the other, If you asked him what he was doing, he would simply proclaim, I killed the last one. I can kill this one easy. He showed no remorse. He even cracked a joke about using its bones to make more nets, as he did with the last beast that threatened our village. His attitude made my jaw clench. The next day, the creature sat below the dock the entire day. Sado did nothing. He refused to look at the being and retreated to his factory for an emergency. During the night, family boats were devoured by the beast. There were questions on whether it had become impatient, but somebody claimed they saw Sato throwing his red nets on them. The creature disappeared for a few days. People were enraged. Their lives had been eaten away in mere seconds. They held their anger to the beasts, and despite the dock CCTV being erased, a nearby private camera caught Sato in action. Throwing the red net over each of the boats... The atmosphere was tense and the silence only worsened the mood. It took one person to call out and it took one person to say, It's Sato's doing. But the whole town had broken into a riot. Sato fled to his home and hid inside and the crowd followed behind. He refused to answer the village. He didn't want to acknowledge his disrespect to the creature and his slaughtering of the baby beast. Sato refused to believe that he did not save the village. Instead, he endangered it. The beast returned and sat at the dock its mouth open at the edge. The same loud horn echoed non-stop throughout the village from the beginning, and everybody panicked to stop it. The town sacrificed food and fish. They pleaded with the creature and promised I would never do it again. The sea beast didn't stop. The horn was deafening. I wondered if it was a battle cry or mourning its loss. Either way, it had to stop. My father had enough. With a red net in hand, he headed to Sato's house and pushed through the crowd. Sato, he boomed, but Sato continued to hide. Come out and be a man about it. There were no movements from the inside, but my father was strong. We didn't need tough doors in a small village like ours. He kicked Sato's in a few tries. A few of the men charged in with him, and they exited out with Sato and his youngest daughter, Betty. The two were tangled in the massive red rope. My father and the group of men began to push them, They too stumbled over the abundance of materials and their own feet. Betty hit the floor at one point, but they kept pushing and pushing. Sato managed to pull Betty up, and before they knew it, they were on the wooden platform on the dock. Please, not Betty. Don't do this to my Betty, Sato sobbed. I believed him. At that moment, he was a father pleading for his daughter. She didn't do anything. She didn't know. I'm the only one that knew... The reveal that Sato knew caused an uproar. People pushed past each other, wanting to be the one to harm Sato. But my father and his friends kept them back. I turned my attention from Sato to Betty. And she was staring at me, eyes puffed as she was sobbing her eyes out and her body spotted with mud and stone. I didn't say anything. I couldn't. I just stared back until they were led further into the dock. Everybody followed behind, shouting, shouting and teasing the two. The horn's sound grew louder and louder as the two approached and we took it as a sign that this was the right thing. Now on the edge, Shadow pleaded, becoming more aggressive. Not Betty, not Betty, he sobbed. They both refused to face the creature. Turn around, my father demanded. Sato didn't oblige, but Betty turned and stared into the mouth of the creature. My dad physically turned Shadow around and all the colour drained from his face. Betty let out a shriek. The shock caused her to drop to her knees and her tears dropped into the abyss below. From here I could see the familiar black descent into nothingness and the smell of rot was far, much greater than when I encountered it. I scanned the faces of the villagers around me. Nobody had dared to come to the dock while it was here and it was the first time encountering it. Sato was silent. I saw him pull Betty up and hold on to one of her hands to pray. It felt like the air was getting heavier. My eardrums ached from the drone of the creature and it felt like they were ready to burst. Then, without saying anything, my father pushed them in. I watched as they fell into the nothingness of the creature's mouth, and the dark abyss consumed the two. After ten years, the beast had gotten its justice. I wiped my cheek, thinking that the sea had splashed me yet again. But I was met with an abundance of tears. The creature was quiet, and its mouth snapped shut. A short push of wind brushed through the village. The being dropped into the ocean...